So I hear from the announcement that you had electrical or you have electrical issues. Lights on, it's an important thing. I remember power outages. But as I was, looking, as, as I was listening to your elder uh, speak about electricity and the need to fix lights, I talk with my hands, so I'm trying to back off from the mic, so sorry, you'll have to adjust me. I mean, adjust the mic for me. Thank you. But I, what came to mind is when my daughter was small, maybe the age of the little one who came up this morning, when I was leaving early in the mornings in San Antonio, sometimes it was still dark. And um, I'm going to have to move the mask a little bit so I can project, so I'm trying to do that just right. So I would leave in the dark. And what we did is we had a special ritual, if you will, a tradition about leaving the house when I left or when she left. She was like four or five, so of course, when she left, she needed help. She was being driven. But if it was daytime and light, we would do this. Any of you know that? I love you, yes. So I'm driving away, but before I back up the driveway carefully, I do this. I love you. She stands at the screen door, it's daytime, morning, and I'm waving and I'm going off. Well, daylight saving time. Sometimes in the morning, what's it like? It's pitch black out, no light. So this will not work because I'm sitting in a dark car. So what do we do? We resort to the porch light. So we flicker the porch light on and off instead of I love you. And so that was our ritual. And so what all of that has to do with this morning's scriptures is the farewell part. When we leave, even moms and dads or grandparents off to work and leave the household and people behind, there is many times a little twitch, a little heartstring kind of thing happening. We feel a little sad to leave. <clears throat> We're comforted knowing we'll come back. Well, in today's scripture, we have two farewell or leaving stories. And it's not the Samaritan, although he figures in. In the Old Testament from Deuteronomy, we have Moses. Moses talks about commandments, obedience to God's commandments and the promised land. What we don't hear is that this is Moses' farewell speech to his people. Because what happened to Moses when his people, the Israelites, and he reached the promised land at the boundary? They were encamped at Moab. What happened to Moses? Moses did not get to enter the promised land. Do you remember that? Sure you do. So here they are encamped, and he is reviewing, he's reminding them of God's commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength. And conduct yourself according to his will, so that it may go well with you and your descendants. So we hear a list of to-dos. How do you all feel about a to-do list? Well, you don't have any feelings? Do you like to-do lists? Some of you probably love to-do lists. But it seems like there's a burden placed upon God's people until we take a step back and look ahead, or back rather, in Deuteronomy, and we look at verse 6. If I may read it to you. When I saw today's scriptures, I should not move. When I saw today's scriptures, I did not like the cut. We start in Deuteronomy in mid-sentence, in mid-sentence. So I look back and I said to myself, what is this all about? And so verse 6 says, 
Moses, again, speaking to God's people, same place, same occasion, but this opens up that whole scripture a bit for us. Moses says, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, can you, do I need to be closer to the mic? The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. Listen again. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul in order that you may live. Now, besides being ordained Lutheran clergy, I'm also a board-certified uh, board chaplain. So my realm of pastoral ministry took me into hospitals, acute care, crisis intervention. Working in San Antonio at a huge hospital, I basically was the primary chaplain for the heart hospital in that particular health system. Often, too often, people came in anxious and worried, desperate sometimes, because their hearts were not working like they should. There was something the matter. You, each of us know people whose heart has challenges. We're talking about the physical heart pumping like it should. Do this for me. Raise up your fist. I'm not being ugly. I have a point to this. So if you're an adult, you are. It's twice the size. And do this. Place it on the left side of your chest and go like this. That's your heart. We know it's there. We know it pumps. Do you ever think about it? No. We just know it's going to do its thing, right? What happens if it doesn't do its thing? Our, our very life may be threatened, right? Our health, for sure. So this is pretty important. So we have um, patients coming to the hospital, and we fix their hearts. If not me. I pray with them. If they let me, if they invite me, surgeons, cardiologists, bunch of people, specialists of great wisdom and skill, they fix the heart, and people are restored and go back to their lives. So, the heart has been fixed, but it's still that physical heart doing the pumping, right? Nothing essentially has changed. But what God does, he changes the very core and structure of the heart in some mysterious way that they are changed essentially, the Hebrews, the Israelites. They are changed in the core of their being so they can obey the commandments. God does for the Israelites, his people, what they are unable to do for themselves. He gives them the way to obey the commandments. And I want to apologize to you. I usually don't preach with a mask, and uh, I wanted to do that because I know you've had some cases. I see various masks, but it's making me short of breath, so I'm trying to catch my breath here. So that you will live is the caveat so that you will live. I'm going to have to anchor myself to the pulpit. I'm a pacer. So that you will live. In the New Testament lesson, a gospel rather, specifically the gospel, that's the lawyer's question. How, what and how must I live to have eternal life? Not only the physical life, but the eternal life, life in God. What do I need to do? And Jesus stops on his road to Jerusalem Jesus is on a farewell path. He's going to Jerusalem, and while he's heading out there, or toward Jerusalem, he prepares his disciples. He teaches them. He stops on the road to teach others as well. So the commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, all your strength. 
Do everything within you devoted and oriented toward God and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. So that hinges, on that commandment, hinges eternal life. But then we have to get a little bit more clear in the lawyer things. Who exactly is my neighbor? Because you see, if we know who we must love, who we're absolutely required to love and care for, if we know who that is, then everybody else, we don't have to worry about They're outside of our scope of care. No obligation to those people out there. In the Old Testament and even into Jesus' time, there was great debate about, by the rabbinic schools, scholars, scriptures, religious people, who exactly is my neighbor? In the very Old Testament, it was people in your community, other Jews. Then during the time when Deuteronomy was kind of a review of that first law, it was expanded a little bit. During, the king, during King Josiah, <clears throat> there was a reform, and the law was expounded and expanded to include orphans and widows, those who were needy in the community. So fast forward to Jesus in that conversation about love your neighbor. And Jesus doesn't answer when the guy asks, who is your neighbor or who's my neighbor? Jesus tells a story. Don't you hate it when he tells a story? We just want a straight answer. Just give me a list that I can take care of. Check off. Check it off. And Jesus tells this awesome story. And we get stuck sometimes. Oh, the Levite didn't stop by, and the priest, bad man, um, and, and the poor guy. Why did he travel alone on a road he knew was treacherous? But let's step back. Where did this take place? The story is set, setting the scene, right? Jesus sets that scene outside of Jerusalem. It's outside of the community, the holy place, the temple where everybody was called to worship. This takes place outside of Jerusalem. Man beaten, left for dead, suffering. Priests and Levites, religious leaders, knowing the law, could cite it, quote it, argue it, debate it. Walk right by. He's not part of that community. There's an obligation. They know the law. They're fulfilling, they're not breaking the law. They're living by the law, the letter of the law. So they're probably okay. Because I think if they felt an obligation that it was required, they would have stopped. Well, here comes the Samaritan. A person himself outside of that community of the Jewish society. We read in scripture time and again, there was great hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. Samaritans worshiped in the wrong place. They looked to Moses, not David, and great hatred developed over many, many hundreds of years, we're talking centuries, inbred, concrete hatred and being despised. So it's this man, the Samaritan, who fulfills the spirit of the law. Samaritan also know the books of Moses, the law. He fulfills the law. He shows astounding, abundant mercy to somebody who's unidentified. We just know it's a half-dead person. And he helps. He goes out of his way. So stepping back, 
Jesus, I think, Jesus is saying, this is what a neighbor does. So Jesus focuses in on neighborly actions, merciful living, not who is it, but how am I a neighbor to others? That's the question here that is answered. And as you and I step back, we see Jesus on the way to Jerusalem offering this story and the teaching, and we realize we're in a post-Pentecost time of the church. What happens at Pentecost? We call it the birthday of the church, don't we? What happens at Pentecost? You gotta help me preach, come on. What happens at Pentecost? The Spirit is given, gifted to the church, right? And everybody can hear the gospel in their own tongue. And we won't talk about Peter being accused of being drunk and all that good stuff, but the gift of the Spirit comes to us. Jesus' story comes to us on this Sunday of Pentecost, number eight, from the viewpoint of the Spirit already given. So when Jesus says, go and do likewise, go and do likewise to the lawyer, his words come down through the ages to us. We are urged, asked, maybe even pleaded to by Jesus to act likewise. And when we really look at the full scope of the Samaritan story, it's really a wonderful, poignant picture, a reflection of God's great love of us. The despised doing God's work. The sinner others think, the sinner doing God's work. And so we too are freed, like in our confession and forgiveness, we are freed to love as God loves. Beyond any limits and boundaries we may think exist, Jesus just does all that away. So to you and I this morning, look at this wonderful picture of God's great love reflected in the actions and love of the Samaritan who was deemed despicable and a sinner and really a heretic by the Jewish people. He fulfills the spirit God's law of love. Amen. We continue with the hymn of the day.